Hey everyone! Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to ask a quick favor and see if any of you could help Nepal in the current COVID-19 crisis they're experiencing. A new strain of COVID is ravaging the country and many people are sadly losing their lives. Anything you can do to help is much appreciated, whether that be financially or through awareness. To learn more, visit covidconnectnp.org. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Namaste, friends. Welcome to part three of the Nepal Coexisting with Giants series. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and globetrotter. In today's episode, I'm taking you with me to a very special place, Chitwan National Park in southeast Nepal. This area is world-renowned for its immense Asian greater one-horned rhino population, in addition to a vast diversity of birds, mammals, reptiles, and endangered species like tigers and the Garial crocodile. As I'm sure you can imagine, living with such charismatic wildlife can be both a blessing and a curse. While tourists love to visit the area and spend millions of rupees each year experiencing everything nature has to offer, the local community has to manage all of the issues that arise when animals leave the jungle and enter their village. Luckily for nature and wildlife, they have conservationists on their side. Many people in the area love Chitwan's wildlife and have dedicated their lives to saving both the park and their fellow community members. Today, you are going to meet those incredible people as well. While I highly recommend listening to the episode from start to finish, I also want you to choose your own adventure, just like when we were kids. We hit many topic in today's show, and you're more than welcome to hop around and check out the parts that interest you. We kick it off with a bird conservationist that openly shares what's happening with birds in Chitwan. Next, we meet an expert wildlife researcher and a wildlife veterinarian that share the science behind what's going on with human-wildlife conflict in Nepal, especially tigers and elephants. Following, we meet the president of the Bogmara Community Forest and learn why their forest is one of the most famous in Nepal. After that, we meet the president of the community-based anti-poaching unit and hear why poaching is happening in the area and how they're combating it. Lastly, we meet the secretary of the Wildlife Victim Fund, a nonprofit dedicated to helping families that have been affected by wildlife conflict. Check out this episode's description to see when each section starts and hop around accordingly. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening so that you never miss a future episode. Also, please let me know if you're digging these conservation travel stories by hitting me up on Instagram at Rewildology or emailing me at hello at Rewildology.com. And now, on to my conversations in Chitwan, Nepal. The first portion of today's show is with Basu Badari, a naturalist guide and bird expert. Basu was born in the area that is now Chitwan National Park and was translocated to the surrounding community forest when the park was established. To say he knows the area's wildlife is an understatement. We caught Basu right after he interviewed with the BBC to explain how the country's wildfires were devastating bird numbers. Basu holds nothing back in our conversation and we learned a ton from him. All right, here we go. 
I'm Basu Bidari, Kajanese Guide and past president of Bird Education Society. I'm a special bird guide. Yeah, so I think it would be great to maybe give a little background about birds and how biodiverse it is in the park, like maybe how many species and then maybe any big challenges for birds here. Actually, there is no study about the inside the Chito National Park, but we're saying 450 species birds inside the Chitin Park. But we have published the books in 2015 and we have recorded at the time 631 species. But every year the number is adding. So now the species of Chitun, Chitun Valley is 643 species of the park. And there is many globally threatened species and vulnerable species. There is a 168 species are nationally threatened species all over the Nepal. But we have more than 60% of species you can find in lowland or in Chitwan. Uh, and there is a uh, 43 species, birds are globally threatened species in Nepal, but you can find 31 species in Chitwan. But the number are declining. There is big challenge. Just, just now we can talk about the fire. Uh, just I gave interview a few hour ago for the BBC. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and what is the problem with the fire? I see mm. most of the nest is burned. Mm. This is many, many birds are summer migratory and winter migratory. The birds who comes in summer migratory, they breed here mm. and they nesting here. And after giving a birth or has eggs, they go back to their country with the chicks. But the, in winter, we have more than 160, 150 to 180 species are winter migratory birds, and most of the species are dots. And they migrated from north. They fly over the mountains. Many birds come from Siberia or Sri Lanka, and some geese, like barred geese, grey geese, they come from the Australia. They fly over top of the mountains. Yeah, like a... The record is uh, 950 meter height. That's crazy. A geese. And they come here, but they don't breed here. But few years back, like I think two decades ago, Rudy Shalda, still you can see the ducks here. They are slowly going back. And they have, they have given the birth in Gokyu Lake, which is the highest lake of Nepal. It's in Everest region. Everest area. After that, nobody have recorded it. Uh, that's the winter migratory birds. In summer, we have many birds comes from from the south. Mainly, they they use the Indian highway, like Indian path. And most of the birds, the chicks here, they give a birth here. But mainly grassland birds, they breed here. And many globally threatened species birds, they are already arrived. They have already nest, but this year's it's a lot of forest fire. And many nests have been burned. Oh no! That's a big challenge, and we cannot control it. It's uh, everywhere this year. A lot of burns because since long time, it's no rain here. I would love to learn more, especially since this is a topic, something that you're really concerned about. Why exactly all the fires in the park? And it sounds like it's affecting the grassland birds quite a bit. Mm. So what's the alternative to 
stopping fires. What do you think? There is, there is no any alternate to stop the fire. But the one thing is that the concept of the park, you can see the fire line. We call them fire line. The, it, it is burns this side. This side cannot come. The road, they made the fire line road. But they, still there is a lot of mammals is died. Like uh, pythons, uh, oh. lizards, a lot of things. There are so many living creatures there. So they die. But the active animals can cross the other side. But this is this is a not good idea to burn the jungle. And still we don't know who, is, who, who do it. People say, army says, elephant driver. It's done by elephant driver because they need grass. But they, they burn particle area. The jungle will burn till, till the May or June. Now the grass line is burning. Slowly river and forest will burn. And after that the salt forest start to burn. Is that the jungle is always burned part to part in this area. But the other, other area like uh, community forest, there is not a different types of forest. It burns once. That area is a big problem. The fire is a big problem for the birds because it's the nesting time. That's why the number is declining. Sometimes if they, their chicks is died, if the egg is spoiled or burned or heated, Second time, some birds, they do it again. But some birds, once they has the eggs, they don't do, do again. Even they got disturbed, they don't do again. Like vultures and some other birds. That makes sense, because I'm sure those eggs are very hard on yeah. the female to generate and lay. Mm. Those birds. So if humans weren't burning the forest, would it naturally be burning? Naturally burns too. In the sulfur area, there is many bamboo tree. Many bamboo tree. When there is wind, wind comes. By the wind, its fires comes. The bamboo is roots, and the fire will come into. Some is natural fire too. The grassland is burned by the some people, especially elephant driver. I can say, because they need a grass for elephant. That's that's if you burn control fire, it's no harm. But if you do uncontrolled fire, it's big harm. Like yesterday, the this corridor, yesterday is burned a lot. Many, I think many animals or birds have died. And the problem is that grassland. Government are not doing anything. Grazing and lowland grassland, they like they like short grass, like catching this grass. It's called imperata silendirica. Those kinds of grass, they like it. But now the grass is high and people after that they burn it. And still we haven't seen any nest of the vultures. The vultures are very declining very rapidly because of pesticide. Be yeah, they use uh, diclofenac. The diclofenac uh, used by local people. When your cow or buffalo is sick, when they have fever, they bring diclofenac and they, use, they inject. If they die, they live in the river, they live, they throw in the open area nearby the jungle. And the vultures came and feed. After they eat that carcass, they die because kidneys fail. Nowadays, government, Nepal government, India government, they said Diclofenac is closed. They closed the company. Now Meloxicam is started. After 2018 to now, the number is uh, sustained. So that's good, so it's yeah. stable. It's stable, yeah. Not rapidly going up, yeah. 
but not down. But other, most of the birds uh, in Nepal who are in critical endangers, they will decline very, very soon. Like uh, 10 years ago, we used to see many birds, uh, like uh, common species. They became vulnerable. Now they became a threatened species because nobody are preserving it. Only some project like a bird life international. And there is a bird conservation Nepal and Nepal Ornithology Union in Chiton Bird Education Society and Nature Guide. Because we are directly involved with the tourists. That's why we like birds and mammals. Because if, if there is no birds, if there is no mammals, tourists will not come. If tourists will not come, we will not get any benefits. And these kinds of things we give the education for the schools and even in the farmers. And another reason the birds are declining, the number is declining than the species. For example, last year we counted, two years ago we counted over uh, 12,000 birds here. But this year's only 10,000. Everywhere, every part of Nepal, the, birth, the birds is declining. We count uh, every winter, we count the birds. We call the mid-winter bird counts all over the Nepal. All the national park and some buffer zone area, some IBA, you know IBA, important bird area, mm. IBA, and those area we count, but the number is declining because of habitat loss. The big problem is habitat loss, and there is poaching too. Oh, really? Of birds yeah. as well? Here in Chitwan, not much, mm. but west parts of Chitwan, or if you go to mountainside, people hunt, people kill for the meat. Still, they do, because there is not uh, enough education for the local peoples, and they, they think why we need why we need birds. They don't have ed education. So in Chitwan, I'm a guide. I'm doing as guide since last 32 years. Wow! And uh, when we started guide, and we thought why not we give awareness program for the local peoples, and we work with the um, BirdLife International. I think I have. Yeah, BirdLife International. Mm -hmm. And with them, we, we have a 24 green club in Chitwan. We aware the children, so we, we go to the school and give education about the birds, why birds is important. But nowadays, slowly we have changed. And we, now we're giving program birds and mammals. Little bit mammals about the big, big, Big mammals like rhino, elephant, tigers, and we're focusing for the children's. How long has your organization been focusing on the children's side? This is actually this is started about twenty years, mm -hmm. but in the middle twelve years we didn't work because the mouse problem. We cannot go to the different places. We cannot gather the students. We cannot go together. Again, when uh, this is uh, there is no problem with the mouse. Again, we started since last five six or so. We regular we have program. This program will be continued. So we're now just waiting to see, like as they get older, yeah. for to reap the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't harm their for uh, teaching for educations. We normally we go to Friday, and Friday from ten to one o'clock. One o'clock they have class, and from one o'clock to three three o'clock, two hours, one hours. We give a program for them. Friday afternoon, that sounds like a fun program <laughs> to end the school week. It's, it's good because teachers are calling us because there is a 
school leaving certificate examination in Nepal. It's very hard. And nowadays there is question about birds and mammals now. Wow. So that is why now the teachers are more focusing us than us. We. <laughs> they say, oh, come and teach us about the, and we explain about the big five mammals and like endemic birds of Nepal, you know, globally threatened species of birds and the, about the pheasants and they're happy. So how, I mean, obviously you love this subject and you're very passionate about it. How do you keep going? It sounds like this is a pretty uphill battle for you. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is a very good question. <laughs> yeah, but because we love in nature, we're born in here. We love it. We're passions. This is our hobby too. Like if you see one species somewhere, we go there to see it, to make our numbers. But it's, it's very difficult how we can control for the birds. Especially like the birds are declining, I told you, because of the inside the inside the park, the lake is dry. There is not enough food. And another reason, <clears throat> there is not good management of grassland and poaching. These are the major problems. And another, in grassland, there is a problem with the exotic plants, different types of plants. It skims and the fill all the grasslands. Before the grassland was more than 13%, now only 7%, 7, 7.5%. Wow. There is many invasive plant. And the birds cannot breed there. Birds cannot make a nest there with the invasive plants. We, we always complain to the government because we, we love the jungle, we love the nature, we love the birds. We say to the government, we can, we can make a grassland management, and there is enough water came from the south of the hill. You can put that water into the lake. The lake is drying. Before, you can see big lake. Now, the lake is very small. The lake is very important for the mammals, of the birds, and for any, any living creatures, they need water. Water is very important. But the government, we don't have sustainable government. We talk with now with the one government, and when they start to talk, without, without, after six months, another government. Another government. For example, uh, maybe you heard or not, it's very, it's like a jokes. The first minister, when he explained, we, we go very hardly to find the minister with a one month, two month appointment. After two months, we explain this and that. He thinks, oh yeah, we must do it. This and that. After three months, when the paper is ready, then another government comes. This is the major problem in Nepal. Hard to get anything done with anybody. Yeah. It's constantly flipping. Yeah. Like in Chituan, they can talk with us about the birds. They talk about the mammals. What is the problem? Because we, every day we go in the park. We, actually, I was born in the park. I'm shifted here 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. Translocated. Not during the translocation program. <laughs> so is there so since like with this audience that we currently have you know when this goes out is there anything that anybody abroad can do to help the birds here yeah there is some organization they help us like before i told you bird life international they're funding us 
And we don't need a lot of money. Our winter bird club, they do and now Himalayan nature. Himalayan nature in Kathmandu. Summer migratory birds, nobody count in Nepal, but we do count in Chitun. It's only we started from five years and five or six years we started. Nest counting. We just count the nest in the specific sites where lots of birds uh, nest around there. So you're really in tune with how yeah. they've declined? Yeah. We count the birds. By that way we can find the number is declining or not. Almost every year. Now we are counting the nest of open bill stroke. stroke. And they lot. breed in the colony. So that makes it easy to count them also. That's convenient. <laughs> last last year we found 387 nests. And most of the nests are active. Two to four uh, uh, chicks, and there was three, four chicks each nest. But this year they changed nesting colony. I don't know. No, we haven't found it yet. No, we found it, but different places. If they got disturbance or maybe hunting, they change because they are feeding in the farmland, and they always make a nesting near the farmland. So do you have any hope for the future? <laughs> yeah, we are hoping. We cross our finger. <laughs> but it's going, uh, getting better and better. But I don't know the point is why. Well, that's great. I mean... Thank you very much for choosing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're anything like me, you're probably saying to yourself, sure, Brooke, this is great and all, but where's the science behind all of this? Great question, my friend. Here it is. Next, we meet with Dr. Babu Ram and Dr. Amir Sadullah, easily two of the smartest people I've ever met. Dr. Babu is a wildlife researcher with a crazy number of publications under his belt and definitely a tiger and Nepali wildlife expert. Dr. Amir is one of the only wildlife veterinarians in the country and responds to an insanely wide range of calls from capturing problem animals for relocation, treating sick and injured animals, to developing disease management protocols for captive elephants. These guys do it all for wildlife conservation and management. They both work for NTNC, the National Trust for Nature Conservation, which you heard both Sam and Jack mention in their episodes. First, you'll hear from Dr. Babu Ram explain what NTNC does and the fascinating projects they're working on. Dr. Amir chimes in a few minutes later to elaborate on some projects he heads and the type of work he does. My inner scientist was geeking out so hard during this interview, and I'm sure yours will too. So, NTNC is an autonomous organization formed by Legislative Act of Nepal. So, it is kind of uh, affiliated with government, but runs autonomously. So, we have a special position working in wildlife and nature conservation work. So, NTNC is actively working in different areas. Geographically, we are in mountains, we are managing three conservation areas. Oh, wow, yeah. So, in uh, Annapurna, Manaslu and Gaurishanga, so these are the three conservation areas in the mountains that NTNC do the overall management. The government has given the work for management. And in Tarai, we have a set up like this, um, biodiversity conservation center in Chituan, Bardia conservation program in Bardia and uh, Suklafanta conservation program in Suklafanta uh, in western Nepal. Mm -hmm. So from this base uh, we have wildlife research monitoring activities, component especially uh, quite strong in this uh, 
outside of secondary training in Situan. And then we also work with communities to convince them or to bring them in conservation. So they are supportive towards conservation. So our activities are sometimes as awareness, sometimes some livelihood activities, alternative, which doesn't need like a dependency and forest. So yeah, uh, we have both nature conservation work in the forest and some activities in the people side also to, to convince them to, to conserve the nature. So we are working both sides, from the both sides. That's awesome. What do you specifically do? Mm, I'm a biologist and my research interest mostly on human-wildlife interaction and uh, wildlife ecology. So primarily in Tarai, Tarai region. And uh, most of the, my work is in, in Chitwan, I'm around. Yeah, currently I'm uh, also managing this center. So uh, working as a in charge of biodiversity conservation. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, it's really nice here. <laughs> yeah. So um, we have some exciting projects we have recently started. One, we have already followed uh, two tigers. Really? And we are looking at how this tiger movement is affected by the road infrastructure. So the, this linear infrastructure, especially roads. And uh, we have one in Parsa and one other in Bajia. And these, these tigers have the lo locations where these uh, roads are either passing through the park or at the edge of the park. And we are getting quite, quite interesting data that tigers are trying to, uh, moving towards road and then return back. Mm. when they reach to the road. So clearly you can see where is road even without map. So ah. You plot the tiger movement locations and you, you can imagine like the road should go that way. So you can see like that. It's quite interesting. Then we are also supporting on this coloring of fishing cat. Oh really? That's another Actually, Dave was suggesting maybe with you to send these colors. Yeah. They didn't get here in time. Yeah, so be I think Alex, Alex is bringing it. Yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah, so. How'd you choose the tigers to color? Which so ones? Basically, it's a location where uh, it's close to the road and chances that tiger go close to the road. Mm -hmm. So And then we see how it uh, responds when it goes close to the road. And also with color, we also have street tags. This tags, when the color co come in contact with these uh, tags, then it takes more frequent location. Mm -hmm. So, and then on the close to the road, we have like very close every 15 minute location. So we know exactly where this tiger moves. We are also trying that. This is a new trial. So interesting to see how this tiger moves along the parallel to the road. So mm -hmm. it doesn't cross, but it goes along the road and then goes to the other area. So. And we do a lot of camera trapping work. <laughs> so in in Parai, in mountains also. Uh, recently, the Annapurna Conservation Area project they uh, completed a survey of snow leopards in oh, the really? uh, Manang Valley. That's uh, one of the. What they find? Uh, they are still analyzing the data. So, oh, okay, okay. They got very good uh, number of like snow leopard captures. And in some places, they found both snow leopard and common leopard in one location. <gasps> really? So does that mean that the common leopard was going that far high in altitude mm. or the other way around the snow leopard was going that far down yeah it's a uh, both way i think mm. both are coming to that location so it's, it's uh, interesting that's, oh, that's crazy yeah yeah and yeah it's, it's quite interesting and 
Also, here we have other research activities to do with the camera trap, with the tigers from here to Banke area. And Sam, you brought some Oh cameras. yeah, we so did. Sam, yeah? mm -hmm. So Sam is interested to work on that area so between Chitwan and Banke. Mm. And this whole entire landscape. So uh, we also found tigers in that area, like wow. almost like proper 50 kilometers from Chitwan and then almost uh, 100 kilometers from back area. So in the between that. Is that a, I would imagine that's a good thing because that means they're moving back and forth? That's what we imagine. So assume. So we need evidence that they are coming from here to there mm. or somewhere. So we are trying to get some sketch samples, DNA, and then see if mm -hmm. these tigers are coming from Chitwan or from Banke or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Could be from India also because the Indian part, uh, there, although there are no forest uh, direct connectivity, there, there are rivers that are connecting this uh, forest and the, the park in the Indian side. So sometimes these tigers are quite tricky. They can move uh, <laughs> through their settlements. Yeah. Oh and, my gosh! And um, yeah, so we we need some some evidence of that. Uh, so for that, we are trying to get some sketch samples. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that's pretty hard. Yeah, very difficult. Just to find yeah, to find the sketch. <laughs> we found bug marks in uh, various locations, mm -hmm. but uh, still we are looking like trying to get some sketch samples. Where do you even start on that? Because I mean just driving along that's such a massive area no we, that's why we first uh, went to all, all these areas survey the river waves and others to see the tiger sign pugmark pugmark mm. is easy or more or less detectable and then uh, once you find the tiger pugmark then you you can locate the area where you, you should focus for Scatter, searching for the scatter. Mm -hmm. Then you look on that area, follow the tracks. And so, do you have a genetics lab here? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> we can do PCR here. After PCR, we we, we need to send samples uh, like a PCR product to somewhere to get uh, like sequence data. Mm -hmm. And then we can compare with the, the population here and other. So, but that's uh, Basically, most of the other labs also do the PCR first and then send the sequence. Mm. So, like identifying who it is and where it comes from. Mm. Uh, so, we have the samples from Chitwan, we have samples from Bardia. Mm. So, we can compare whether this tiger is closely related with the Chitwan tigers or Bardia tigers. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> My biologist side is geeking out right now. <laughs> I just have so many questions. Oh, that's awesome. And with this color tiger, we are also trying to get more information where it goes, where it makes skills, why this tiger goes to that particular area, not to the other. So these kind of things are also we are, we are trying to mm. like, uh, understand. After talking with Jack and Bardia, I was very curious to ask Dr. Babu how he felt about the doubling tiger campaign and if the increase in tiger numbers has affected conflict in the area. He was happy to answer my questions and we dove deep into tiger numbers and how Bardia and Chitwan National Parks compare. So what are you, like, what are your thoughts on that? Has it been good doubling the tigers? Because what we were told, I think yesterday, tiger numbers have actually dropped pretty significantly from 2013 to 2018. 
No. Ancient one? Yeah. So its density is similar. It's not uh, much change. Only the number, the population estimate has gone a little bit down. It's also the methods that we use. Mm. It's, uh, because of that, I think. And the estimate we got this time is more rigorous or more accurate, we believe, than the previous one. So the previous time we had like a large margin. This year, this time we have we got better estimate of that, I will say. And the density is similar. So, if you look at density, I think 3.8 in, in uh, 2013 and 3.6 in 2018. So, it's it's not much change. Okay. But uh, in Bardia, it's uh, increased a lot and the density also. So, the problem with the tigers, they Maybe there are killings, conflict is there, but conflict is related with individual tigers. That way, what we uh, found in Chitwan and I think also in Bardia, because mm. it's not the all tiger population they are involved, but it's a particular group or particular individuals that are involved in incidents, mm. accidents, I say. <laughs> I like that. Is it like a territorial thing or what are yeah, you seeing? In, in, in a way, territorial thing because sometimes these tigers fight with each other and then some are injured and those who are injured or weak and displaced from their territory are more chances to be involved in conflict. Mm. And it's quite interesting in Bardia that there are multiple tigers in same location. So in our conventional thinking, they should there should not be two males in one place, but mm. we are finding two males in one place, many females in one place, quite overlapping with each mm. other. And uh, that we find uh, in Parsa also. Parsa is a low-density area where from the camera trap, like 15-day camera trap, so, like the territory of one tiger falls entirely in other tiger in some places. The the place where we cover this tiger, we have there is only one male and it's, it's covering his area so well. And in camera, we see another male also there. So it's quite, quite interesting that tigers are, they are territorial if they find each other, but with this kind of thick vegetation area, I think they can easily hide with each other. Or they, they can like, although they are in the same location, temporarily or the time, they can adjust with each other. Mm -hmm. So in some, some places, like while they were trying to capture tiger in Bardia, within this small area where they enclose with uh, this white cloth with two tigers were there. Three, <laughs> three tigers. Three? Last yeah. time there were three tigers, 10 days ago I was in Bardia to capture a tiger. We were just following one tiger. There was two male, one bigger male and one other small male. Really? Same together? Male. Yeah, together. Just 50 meters apart, they were together. Did that and blow your mind? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's blowing my mind. Yeah, that's why we, we think uh, we need some uh, detailed study there and also in other areas. Uh, not only like calling one or two tigers, but let's say three or four or five tigers which are in the same location. <coughs> if we see their movement, how they go with each other and whether they meet with each other or not. And then even while uh, after coloring this tiger, they went with a BHF tracking and they saw two tigers feeding in the same carcass together. So, what? Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with um, the fact that there's, you know, enough prey that they don't have to stress for fighting or the fact that like maybe because the numbers are going up, but the land isn't increasing, that they're just learning to coexist? Do you? 
Yeah, it's I think both way. One is uh, the Bardia has abundant prey, so they don't uh, need to fight with each other for prey because they can in, easily find enough prey. But still, the uh, prey is quite small, uh, spotted deer, which is size of like one third of the tiger. Mm. Tigers are they are built to kill like two times of deer size. Yeah, mm -hmm. like they are hundred fifty kilos, two hundred kilos. Yeah. Maybe you are used with pounds, yeah? Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And this particular deer is 50. Mm. So you can imagine, it's just a small, a small snack. Yeah. It's so like, next all. one. <laughs> yeah. But they have, they are, they are plenty. And there's some sambar, very less, and swam deer, but I think not, not significant. Wild boar, little bit. So. But uh, still abundant prey, maybe because of that. And, Prey uh, is concentrated in that Farnali floodplain area and tigers are also concentrated there. Mm. So if you go a little bit farther away, then the very, very few tiger signs and tiger number is also less. So it's uh, where the prey, the tiger follows. So, mm. Yeah, very interesting stuff. <laughs> kind of questions, at least all of my past knowledge about the social structure yeah. of tigers. Yeah. Because, you know, everything is like, they're so solitary and violent when they meet each other but it sounds like that's not, not what's unfolding in Bardia. Are you seeing similar things here or? Yeah in Chitwan also we, we have found in one location four or five tigers are like we got in photograph in the same camera station in 15 days five tigers are coming like male three or four females one one male sometimes two male in same location yeah tigers and leopards coming in the same location sometimes same night Really? Yeah, so many things. Yeah, but maybe Jack talked a lot about this trade and thing. Yeah, like tiger and leopard killing and other. Yeah, things. we talked a lot, mostly about human wildlife conflict. Yeah, because it was so. Our last day there, that was when the recent attack on the the man happened, which he survived, and then of course it was just nonstop about the woman that was killed a couple weeks before we arrived. And that's why we couldn't do like walking safaris and stuff. Yeah, the, the day when I reached there, the tiger killed one uh, woman inside the park. Mm -hmm. then when you the, got there? Yeah, we, we got there. Mm -hmm. We try and, and next day we captured one tiger just other side of the river. Mm -hmm. Since you know the wildlife so well, in your opinion, how is... Because we experienced it, so I'd really love to hear your take on it. Like how jeep safaris and the tourism sector is affecting wildlife? I think it's both ways. It's uh, supporting and uh, affecting. So one is uh, to convince people that conservation is beneficial. They don't look at indirect values. Like mm. we know there's, a, there's in, that immense indirect values or importance for for our, our uh, long-term sustainable uh, existence also. But people the look at how much you get from there yeah mm. the direct direct so from tourism they see that you can get a lot of di di direct benefit also yeah in some places uh, it's a little bit crowded but i don't think it's actually affecting any like uh, population of wildlife also Still, the tourism activities are limited in certain areas only and uh, it may affect uncertain behavior of animals mm. because daytime there is a lot of and you know, like some zips going and then disturbing of course in some some way 
but I, I, I don't think it is actually affecting overall like population. So yeah, we need a balance. Yeah, because we talked a lot with Jack. So we met with Jack Kinross over in Bardia. And he talked a lot about tourism and like in like heightened height and cortisol levels and tigers that they've started to find. That, that's what we are uh, trying to measure actually in, in uh, this first area where we have radio collar tiger. Oh, yeah. And then we, we will, uh, we were trying to set up one project to collect fresh uh, scat samples and mm. from there we can measure the stress level, yeah. So we did that for uh, elephants, uh, Amir. So he actually was conducting this uh, study of stress on uh, elephants. Yeah. Oh, could and, you uh, could you talk more about that? Sure. Yeah, like we recently we have done a study on a, a corticosteroid level on the elephant. Basically, our focus was how the human and uh, elephant interaction affect the elephant. Like we know that. On a conflict, it's an impact on the human side. Also, we want to look how the elephant are interacting when it comes close to the human beings. For that, we collected the fresh fecal sample from forest. Mm. And we categorized elephant into three parts. Like, it's very small. We have done a very small research. Only the sample size was around 90. And we we divided uh, <coughs> the, our group on three parts. One is the elephant reside in the core forest one in a fringe area and one regularly visiting to the buffer zone and we collected the fecal and we uh, calculated the level of corticosteroid we have found that though our research is very small and we came to know that the elephant uh, which is regularly visiting to the buffer zone and coming in interaction with the human and getting a easy food like in buffer zone they can get a good nutritious carbohydrate like food grains and these things they are comparatively less in stress oh, compared really? to the core. But uh, we need to replicate the, this research mm -hmm. in more of in, in a big sample size. Then only we can finalize. Really conclude. Conclude. Well, that has some big implications for human wildlife conflict. Yeah. yeah we, so I think only coming close to the human, some noise from human is not giving stress to the animals. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the elephants, that's the case. But, with uh, tigers, we, we, we are trying to explore how their level of stress changes when they come close to the roads. So we're trying to collect like scat samples very close to the roads and then further away and they'd see if there is some changes. So that's what we're trying to do. Mm. And with this, uh, if we get some from there, of course, that will be useful for the tourism area areas also but looking at frequent sighting of tigers uh, on the roads and then not uh, much stressed when they see the jeeps or others mm. or they are doing their normal behavior so it seems they are quite adapting with this but but we need to measure it mm. even even the things are we we might to rethink our idea is probably the food is the major cause of stress in a wildlife like if the food is easily available and they, they do not have to uh, move a lot, then uh, there might be less stress comparative to the interaction to the human and these things. So uh, we need to figure out our resource, our focus on like human interaction as well as on the food, food aspect also. So are you planning then like a prey density study after yeah. the tiger collaring or in conjunction with or? 
Yeah, we have uh, that plan also. We, we are, one is we are trying to get some estimates from the camera tab data also. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, how many, how frequently they are photographed in the camera traps and then like that. And another is uh, we also do periodic survey of rabies. Mm. So in whole landscape, we will do next year along with tiger survey. So uh, tiger survey. It's a, a program from the department, but Department of National Park, but NTNC is uh, technically giving the backup for the survey. Mm. And then uh, while uh, we are doing the survey of the tigers, we also survey the prey base. So then we... Makes sense. <laughs> Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about Babu or Amir's work, I've provided links to their stuff in the show notes at rewildology.com. Next, we're moving outside of the National Park and into the community forest. If you've never heard of a community forest before, these are the second rings of land surrounding the National Parks of Nepal. The inner core is the federally managed national park wrapped by a buffer zone, which is also highly regulated. Then outside of the buffer zone are community forests and are fully managed by local people. Chippewa National Park has 25 community forests and we met with the president of the area's famous Bagmara community forest. We learned a ton from Jeet Tamang about the community forest's role in conservation and how it helps alleviate poverty. While we thought Jeet's English was perfectly fine, there were a few moments he needed translation from good friend and naturalist guide Vishnu Rimal. You'll hear both throughout this conversation. All right, here is my chat with Jeet. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce our, this community forest. Okay? This is one of the famous community forests in Nepal about conservation. And also the income source of community forest is uh, very high than other community mm-hmm. forest. This is established when the buffer zone was established. At that time, same time, this community forest also established 1995. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So was like, this one of the first community forests then that was established yeah. in Nepal? In Chitwan. In Chitwan. In Chitwan. Okay, so there's multiple community forests in yeah. Chitwan. Yes. Okay. We have around uh, 25 community oh. forests. Okay. Among them, this one is the uh, more famous community forest mm-hmm. of uh, Chitwan, also in Nepal, because of the uh, conservation and ecotourism is uh, high here. I like to tell you that the bag Mara, bag means tiger, yeah. Mara means kill. It was 40 years ago, this place was hunting reserve for uh, royal family and other people. They used to come here and killing rhino, tiger. And that's why the name came from Killing the animals here. Mm. I mean, especially the tiger. That's the ultimate like trophy. And uh, and also, I was uh, working uh, before in Tiger Conservation Subcommittee, which we had before, which is a community based organization. Uh, I was uh, president there uh, three years. So, our main focus. Focusing is just for awareness program. Educate the local people why we have to preserve the tiger, mm-hmm. what is the value of tiger, mm-hmm. 
like this types of awareness program. We have here two types of community forest in Nepal. One is Bofurzon Community Forest, which is under the National, National Park. And another one is only community forest. And local people, you know, they are very happy to manage you know, the community forest. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So even this forest, it was almost finished. He told me that already. Yeah. And the land also. The land of this community forest was, uh, you know, registered by the person. People. The whole area. You know, they, of forest. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like mafia, you know, you know mafia, mafia, like mm. the land mafia. Mm. They, they made their, you know, personal property. 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 Wow. Yeah. Almost all. And all local community people, they fight for them. They're chasing, they're making fire of. <laughs> like they have planted the crops all the all the way on this part of uh, area, and all the villagers, you know, they uh, release their animals to graze in the field. In the like the mafias, yeah, yeah. to to chase away the mafias. <laughs> <laughs> that river, you know, yesterday you did canoe. Mm -hmm. There was no any crocodile. No, even single crocodile was there. Not even the monger? No, no, no. Not even the monger. <laughs> when we preserve the community forest, slowly, you know, now we have 150, we count. Yeah, You can see a lot of wildlife here. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of uh, community forest, actually, we use money, first of all, for conservation mm -hmm. to manage the wetland, grassland. Yeah animals and second part we spend for education and also we develop some community development program with, uh, put there also some money and now this time we seriously involved in we managing that human and wildlife conflict do you have quite a bit of it in your community forest now this time, yeah, crop damage is one of the oh. one of the high pro uh, problem in this area. So now we we are investing the money to develop uh, concrete wall. Mm. Yeah, is seen that already? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we finished already two kilometers. So fifty percent more we have to. We are mm. going to build this year. We are going to build that in this year. And have with. The fifty percent you have, have you seen a decrease in wildlife coming into the community? Yeah, there is. You know, it's still fifty percent place we have to. Mm -hmm. So from that place, they are entering in the village. So now we are going to build. So still we have some electric fence there. Mm -hmm. We have still electric fence that is also working, but for small animal. Deer, wild boar, you know, like that animals, they easily, you know, crossing that electric fence. So only for big animals like rhino and wild elephant, the electric fence is working. But for small animals, the electric fence doesn't work properly. So we have to make concrete wall. So this is what we are doing now. And also we are the crop damage, uh, we are giving compensation for the local people. We have here for Gottas 
you know, how, what do we call per bigger? ইনকম to manage it, especially for the poor people, you know, this forest is established already, already 20 years it is. So the forest uh, established to develop human, you know, the poor people to develop their uh, education. The poverty. Yeah, that is main aim of this community forest. To eradicate poverty. Yeah, it's still, we are not still success of all these, you know, things to do. So we are thinking about, we have to change, you know, some stimulus uh, rupees per year, our income of this company. 30 million rupees? Yes. 30, 30 million. Yeah. yeah. 30 million rupees. Yeah. yeah. And around among that money, 30% goes for conservation and 30% goes for development. Yeah. And 10% for human wildlife conflict. 10% for education, like this we have a funding this money. So now this time we are seriously thinking about this, how to develop these poor people who are depend on this jungle. You know, still we have a lot of people entering in this forest to uh, cut, harvest the grass and you know, collect natural resources. We are developing school building and also we are giving some scholarship, scholarship for the poor, 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 poor family. And also we providing some cooking stops for poor people who are dependent on eco-cooking stops. Who are not able to manage the gas stops. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I've heard of a lot and have seen a lot of conservation programs where that's what they've done is they've funded villages and as a way to avoid conflict going into forests and harvesting anything and so if they need firewood yeah. to cook food then giving something that doesn't use firewood then hopefully will reduce conflict is that because still it is used with the forest sources, mm. but you know, kind of the same what thing. kind of eco-stock we are giving it to? It can consume very small amount. Of oh, so just yes. use less. Yes. Use less. Mm. Let's say if you use a fire oven, maybe once you use the wood, it can help you to cook the food more than five days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Five days? Yeah. We just uh, one month ago, we distributed 40 households. Oh, yeah? 
if you want to visit that village at 5 o'clock please you, you are welcome i will show you that place that is very very poor family poor people which we call musar musar family 40 household so just one point ago we distribute them this uh, this way we are working uh, the people i told you that uh, musahar musahar is one of the caste very poor poor lower caste of nepal mm. they are all dependent fishing and they are depend on jungle totally still they are you know, depending on nature mm. they eating snail and you know, lizard and fishing is like this their main food so we are working for them we spending a lot of money to develop their you know lifestyle mm-hmm. so we build house for them also wow yeah so is your role so so it sounds like you have your own business then is this voluntary this is voluntary fully voluntary wow. five years so i have one and a half years already gone it's still three and a half years I have time to spend here. Oh, wonderful. So you, so presidencies last five, five years. years. Yes. Wow. Are you liking it? Is it fun? Um, Lots of stress? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, a pandemic happens when you become president. <laughs> you want to go to visit our wetland and grassland? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Let's do that. There's a very important topic that hasn't been touched on thus far in this series, and thankfully our next guest is going to explain it in detail. Poaching. Worldwide, many species of animals are illegally killed for several reasons, the biggest of which is the illegal wildlife trade. In this portion of the episode, I'm chatting with Vishnu Tapa, who is the president of the community-based anti-poaching unit and a naturalist guide. He is well in tune with the poaching situation in and around Chitwan and shares his knowledge with us. So I'm the president of uh, anti-poaching. It was uh, before anti-poaching, so now it has been changed, the name. And that known as a CBAPU, Community-Based Anti-Poaching Unit. I am mm-hmm. also the guide. I work okay. also nature guides. And then I'm the past president of the nature guide associations as well. So I run the one, one-time nature guide associations also. And after that, I like to connect with the conservations. So we have here the unit. You know, the, the, uh, there is a nine unit in the local um, local village. So from the one of the unit, I come through the, that unit. So there is nine executive members of the every different units. So that's I'm the five number five units. So I come here and after that we have elected also. So I am interested to work the conservation. So that's, I'm in here, so I'm with the anti-poachings. Awesome. If you want to talk a little bit more about poaching, because mm-hmm. we haven't had a chance to talk mm-hmm. about that, like the issue of poaching and why it's happening and how we're mitigating it. Well, we have here, uh, of course, in poaching, especially the rhinos. Uh, rhinos, there is illegal poaching. The people's hunt for the haunts. We don't know the people. Some people they believe it's it's kind of medicines, I, but I don't believe that. 
but it's uh, only for the horn, the people's poaching, especially morally we have a record in rhinos, especially. Uh, in this year also the happened poaching some of rhinos, like four naturally dead. In this year, 24 rhinos are the died. Four rhinos are dead, died from the poaching and the rest of the, like, some things is naturally dead. In the poacher, normally we have here the poor peoples no? and indigenous peoples, poor peoples who have a lack of the monies, mm -hmm. a lack of opportunity, like a working opportunity. So those peoples, they uh, harm the rhinos because rich men who have the money and who want the horns or something like that, those people use for the local peoples. Mm. So and those peoples go and in the jungles and they hunt illegally. Uh, around the, in this area, in our place, there is uh, very less poaching, very less because of the, we have here a lot of opportunities, especially in the tourist tourism opportunities. The people do the guidings and they have awareness also. They know about the animals and wildlife. So very less years. Sometimes it happens, but in very less. But if you go in the remote places like west west part of the national parks, and there is some of mostly record from there. Mm -hmm. uh, there is happen poaching a lot of, especially in the rhinos. Other things, uh, tigers or uh, other animals, wild elephants, it's a very less record. But mostly here is a rhino. It's happened poaching in here. And that is also the lack of education, awareness also. And we are not successful. What is the importance of the wildlife? We are not successfully the awareness for them. And the local peoples they go and they hunt because they just look the monies they don't know they don't know what is the rhinos and what is the importance of rhinos so that's why the anti-poaching are established for the communication with the, the humans public and the parts so we are a medi mediator also we do a lot of things there we go to the schools and we give the awareness a quiz contest theme seminars about the wildlife. We only the focus in the wildlife and we make their quiz contest also then for the students. And also the interactions of the wildlife. And we give the some class of the, what is the wildlife and uh, their habitat and their the importance of the wildlife we grow. Uh, we are starting to suddenly focusing in the schools because the the graduate men they understand but they don't care mm. but the children if you focus if we focus for the children's so they understand and also that they care about that things so we focusing in the schools mm. and we used to work their guarding also every month is possible in month twice a time or three times we go the guarding like a guard in the jungles go by walkings and sometimes we go in the bicycling so we do the guard we saw the documentary also mm. yes a documentary because uh, people if you see people and they understand so we make the documentary also and informations we do from the village and our executive bodies and our members they give the informations if happen anything like uh, if animals go in the village, either people do any illegal illegal things, 
So we just information the national parks because we don't have authorized to the control everything. So we just give the information for the, the national parks. Mm-hmm. So also we do, and we do the mediator also. There is some national parks, they provide if any crops or anything, any houses, anything destroy, the um, national park, they give the compensations. So we do the mediator also, if happen anything, so we inform the national parks and then, yeah, what is the, like a destroy, what is destroy or how, how many things are the destroy. So we just give the information and the national park, they come and they just value it. And then after that, they give the compromise, contribution also. And we do, yes, there is sometime we um, call it parents also and we just make the um, seminar, it's like a seminar, give the awareness programs about the wildlife and uh, their habitats and what is the importance of the wildlife, it's like this. And uh, this is, that's we do from the uh, CBFU, we can do like this. Have you ever been in conflict with a poacher? Yeah, sometimes. It happens sometimes. Not like a um, big, but mm-hmm. yeah, in the village, people look and he's like a CIA, CID or something. So, and they are mis- misbehaviors, mm-hmm. some things like this. It happens. It's a risk. Mm-hmm. Not killed by the poachers, but it's a risk. Sometimes it happens. Mouth to mouth, discussion, uh, some things. They ask you, why do you like this? What What is for you perfect? We do like this, some things. It's happened. It's a risk also. And uh, we have also the transportation problems because we have we have here uh, RRT also. It's under control by the CBAP. The RRT, it means Rapid Response Team. Mm-hmm. We have a five people that if happen anything, so we have to go um, suddenly in on the sports. It's happened some problems if any animals kill the people's either any animals give the problems so we have here's RRT it's a rapid response team so they are having problems also the transportation because sometimes it's very far so to go in immediately it's a, it's a transportation also problems mm-hmm. so in both of your combined years of working in this field Mm. What do you think is the solution? The tourism was one of the best way uh, to control the poaching because if there is a tourist, tourist used to travel in the you know natural habitat to amuse to the wildlife, and that helps to control the poaching. It's far better than the other process, no. And also, it need to distribute surrounded by the park because uh, somehow people they start to get benefit from the tourism. No? So that also helps to control the poverty. And also, if the if the poverties are controlled itself, the poaching also controlled. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen an increase in poaching with COVID? Yeah, at the beginning phase, it was a little bit. Mm. But now, but now so it's been because since it started to increase the poaching, and there are about seven hundred nature guides were involved in the park as a guide, and they start to patrol uh, the areas of the park each day with oh, a different wow. group of people in the different section. Mm. 
so that helps to control poaching so and were they doing that for free since we yeah it's like so it's all like volunteering it's volunteers it's just yeah. <laughs> volunteers That's, that just shows yeah. how much it means to them yeah. to keep the wildlife here We've arrived at the final interview of today's show and one of the most moving for me. As you've heard, living with mega wildlife can be quite dangerous and people do lose their lives. Members of the local community in Chitwan were frustrated with the government's slow response time dispersing compensation when severe conflict occurred. And so Doma Padel, her husband, her brother Raj, and neighbor Ritu Waiba founded the Wildlife Victim Fund a nonprofit dedicated to helping families that have suffered from human-wildlife conflict. In this conversation, I'm sitting down with Ritu to learn more about the nonprofit and what happens after conflict occurs. Bishnu also helps translate this conversation, so you'll hear both Ritu and Bishnu answer our questions. She works as a secretary of uh, Wildlife Victim Fund. So Doma is the president. Mm. Of it. And actually, Doma and uh, her husband set up the mind to establish the non profitable organization, especially to support to the wildlife victims, actually to the family. No? Because uh, there is some compensation from the government, but there is a very long process. Mm. And I think I have already mentioned a little bit about the relief fund from the government, which is only out from the border. And still it is long process to get the relief. No? So that's why right after the incident, family need some support losing their family. No? Mm-hmm. So that's the main reason to rise this organization. Mm-hmm. And actually the organization itself, I already mentioned, no? The Nepal Dynamic Ecotour, it's like a service-based company which uh, manages the jungle safari as well as other excursion. And uh, whatever they you know, manage to income, the 5 to 10% of net profit goes to the uh, wildlife victim fund. Mm-hmm. How did you meet Doma? Did you? Oh, it's we are neighbor, very neighbor. close. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doma discussed about this fund from long time before. Uh, before we registered this fund, mm-hmm. and after that we decide we can do something better for the community. So and we registered in. <laughs> we we talked a long time before registered this fund and then we decide it's good for community for the first time health for the victim family. So and we decide that's okay, it's we can do. But just little fun is started now. She is also a victim family. Her mother was killed by Ryan. Mm-hmm. Have you always been the secretary? From starting to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am looking the um, audit, you know, accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that part is my... <laughs> <laughs> so my sector is financial, so it's a little bit difficult. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doma wanted to join me as a financial sector mm-hmm. to see the, this fund. 
My she subject. knew you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> My subject is that one. So around how many families has the fund supported over the years? Five family and one scholarship for uh, the victims' children mm. in Mardi. Mm. Time, one, one children and five family. Everybody can join with a victim family. They can get easily scholarship, first of all. Because if they will be educated, they can do anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, First one is education. Mm-hmm. That way is a victim family, but other ways we have also, like awareness program of mm-hmm. conservation. Our president is one of the best trainer also. She is best trainer of uh, conservation. So how does the funding part work? Um, so like when an incident happens, then... Where does the Wildlife Victim Fund come in from there? Actually, in that case, it may not help right in the time. No? Mm-hmm. When an incident happens, so if finished, then they start going on funeral work. If we have time and if we have the budget, we can go within the period so that it can help for their funeral works. No? If not, after after finishing all these works, we just support mm-hmm. to the family. And if anyone just injured, the first priority is to reach to the hospital. And the second priority is to, find, to collect the financial sources. So if the families are pretty weak, then all the villagers pretty much wishing to support 50 rupees, 100 rupees. No? So if everybody supports, so it can help for the treatment and also the different organization, mostly working on volunteer base. So we go talk to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So you should keep some compensation because this is this sort of families. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we get 50% of discounts for the treatment, mm-hmm. sometimes 25%. This is how it goes on. So we actually, when we were in Bardia, we met with some children who unfortunately were orphaned because of wildlife conflict. Is there anything set up here when that happens to help kids that don't have parents after wildlife conflict? It happens if the husbands are killed by animals and the women may get married with other, other men. Okay. Oh, oh, no. really in, that, in that cases, there will be a kind of orphanage. Yeah. Nobody are taking care of the kids. Really? Yes. Yeah. yes. So the previous children yeah. might not be accepted into the new family? Yeah. Wow. That's intense. How often does that happen? This is kind of happening. Mm-hmm. One of family was there and uh, he was uh, a mason. He used to work, but unfortunately he had a lot of drink, probably didn't work so well. Mm-hmm. So he was heart attack, I think, mm-hmm. and he he heart. passed away. No? Mm-hmm. And his wife, she got married with other, uh, other men, men, left all children in home. Five. Nobody were take caring of the kids. Five children. They're, five. They had five children. Four girl, yeah. one boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were they were they were take caring of those kids. Mm-hmm. 
In so two ladies got married <laughs> and still three left. They are living along with them. Oh, like you? Yeah, we You're taking care of Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> one uh, youngest one girl was a uh, one and a half year when her mother left her. I can't see if she's like. <clears throat> Oh, really? She's taller than me. Now. <laughs> this one. See, I cried uh, all night. Uh, mommy, 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 all night. That time. Yeah. Now, good dancer. Good dancer. Good dancer. Study is a little bit slow. But a dancer is a khatra and smart. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoy this very special episode with all of today's guests who work in and around Chitwan National Park. Again, if you have any means to help Nepal in the current COVID-19 situation, whether that be through financial support or by spreading awareness, anything will be much appreciated. Please visit COVID Connect Nepal to learn more. The Nepal Coexisting with Giants series was recorded in March 2021 with me, your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, and fellow conservationist, Courtney Gonzalez. All of the stories shared are from the guest viewpoints and their first-hand experiences. A special thanks to the Katie Adamson Conservation Fund for helping to support this series through their Conservation Travel Fund and connecting us with their amazing Nepalese partners. To hear more about KACF and their founder, check out episode two with Dave Johnson. If you're liking the show, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. If you're feeling super squirrely, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow and I couldn't do it without you. Until next time, my friends, together we will rewild the planet.